right? <laughs> Let's, uh, we're going to dive back into chapter 16. I'll pull us back into it and, and dive into some of these. We're looking at names, and um, there's, a, there's, a, there's some, some method to the madness of that. So let's pray. Lord, as we come together, we come after a, a, a week where we've watched people around our nation really struggle with uh, cold. Uh, we've seen a lot of destruction. And the hardest thing is just knowing that uh, people have died. And Lord, um, there's, there's no way around just the hurt that comes out of it. As things thaw and there'll be more damage, we just ask, Lord, that um, you, you take us through it, reminding us that um, we have to keep our eyes just fixed on you. Lord, you're, you're who gets us through all, all of this stuff. But be especially with people who've, who've lost things and especially people who've lost people. We, we do pray for that. Lord, as we dive back into chapter 16, give us that sense of community that really existed in that first century. Um, Lord, as we listen to these names, uh, teach us a little bit through them. And Lord, help us uh, walk away today with just, again, a, a real sense of, of thanksgiving for this book you've given us. So relevant for our time, the book of Romans. We pray in Jesus' name, let's say it together. Amen. So we're in chapter 16, and, and a lot of people just skip this chapter because it's all names. And uh, not only can people not pronounce the names, but when you're reading through it, most folks would just say, uh, well, whoever these people were, they were very close to St. Paul. I find that it's worth stopping and actually walking through uh, the people that are being identified here and thinking about what's going on because there's some lessons in it. Um, I like to think of it this way, kind of uh, if, if we had a, a camera, Romans 16 is, is a picture that's being taken. Part of that picture is kind of winding in very tight, narrow shots on to specific people. The other part of it is you wind it back out and you're, you're now looking at it you know, from afar and as you take it all in, there are some lessons that are being kind of lifted up through it. Paul is at the kind of at the end of not only of Romans, but I think he recognizes that he probably doesn't have a lot of life left in him. Uh, God has revealed to him that he will be killed. And uh, despite the fact that his friends and people who care about him try to talk him out of that, Paul, don't talk that way. Don't think that way. You know, we've all kind of been there before with somebody who, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, I'm not, I'm not going to, to make it. No, don't talk that way. No, I'm not going to make it. That's Paul. He knows, he knows what's happening. And so these aren't just greetings like, hey, greet you and I greet you and I greet you and I greet you. These are really, this is his way of lifting up the church in Rome of kind of, if I put it in my own words, if I knew I'm going to be leaving, I want to bring you all together and not, not some weird group hug kind of thing, but come together and know that we need each other. If we try to do this, this work of bringing the gospel into Rome without really depending upon each other, we'll fail. And uh, the thing that's been unique to me when you, when you look back in the apostolic period and we recognize the structure of it, you know, house church, house church, house church, house church, house church, bishops that would bring the house churches together regionally, particularly for outreach or 
in many cases, as we read this, to, to, to gather up help for regions that needed help. Um, there was no sense of, uh, well, competition between the churches. There's no sense of that. Um, I find it unfortunate in our world today that even within the same church bodies, um, there's a sense of competition. You know, well, they do this over at this church, and they do this over at that church, and uh, yeah, but we do this over at our church. <clears throat> and because of that, that competition, that spirit of competition, it's not of God. It's not of God. It, it isn't. What ends up happening is uh, we are not as strong as we really need to be to impact a region. What's also really amazed me over the years is uh, how hard it is to break through that spirit of competition within your own, within your own denomination. Um, in my experience over my years, I probably have had more uh, success coming together with, with people of differing, differing denominations and being able to say, hey, it's not about this church, it's about us and this city and how are we going to work, you know, how are we going to work together. In Lincoln, that was a group that I became part of early on in my ministry here. I think we have a pretty decent group of people that will come together. But it's, it's, it's pan-denominational. It's not denominationally within our denomination. It gets harder because, again, of that spirit of competition. So that's one of the things that, that you really pick up here is we need each other. Uh, churches, we need to kind of be working together if we're going to uh, have the impact that, that God wants us to have. So that's kind of that broad look at what's going on here. The other broad message that we're getting is as you start to look at the names of the people that Paul is lifting up, you right away begin to realize that a page has been turned in the history of the church, right? So when he starts off, his first commendation is to a female, Phoebe, right? Verse 1. And uh, last week we identified Phoebe as uh, a, a, a Greek diakona, um, a servant of the Lord, played the role of a deacon, and a patron to the church. Uh, in other words, uh, Paul would say she, she has the, the financial well-being to actually help, help the house church get located and have what they need to do what God has called them to do. She, she's a very giving very giving person. We believe that she's the bearer of this letter, that, you know, who's going to take this letter to Rome? Phoebe does. And so Paul is saying, welcome her into your midst. Well, you can stop right there with that very first verse. The page that's being turned in history is Judaism, women, no. A woman wouldn't, if, if I were a woman in, in, in Old Testament times, I'd say, could I, would, can I carry the role the scroll of Isaiah into the temple. A, you're not getting in the temple. We have a court for women. Stand there. B, you're not touching a scroll of scripture, right? A page is turning. And I always think when I read this of Jesus' words to the Pharisees, you cannot put n new wine into old wineskins. In other words, he isn't saying what was done in the Old Testament was wrong. He's not saying that. Um, God had a very intentional structure that was set up in that Old Testament period where, where physical Israel, along with spiritual Israel, were, were at work. But that page is turned. I'm doing it differently. 
And one of those differences is seen right away. Phoebe is carrying this letter into Rome, and I commend her because of the role that she's played is significant, uh, both as a, a, a deaconess as well as a, a patron uh, to, to the church. Uh, the, the second group of people that are identified, um, Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila. Last week we identified them uh, with the same couple, they're a couple, who we meet in Acts chapter 18. They're, they're very uh, critical players in the, in the early New Testament period. Um, interestingly, I always find these little side notes fun. They are tent makers as Paul was a tent maker. Part of what brought them together was their profession, right? And what's always interesting to me is, like when, when God sent Jesus into the world, what profession did he give them? What did, what, what did he do for a living? Okay, technically, we would say he was a technoi. So we say carpenter, but actually a technoi works with both wood and stone. Think about that. How did Jesus die? On a piece of wood. How did he pronounce victory over death? Rolled away a stone. Those little subtle things in the Bible. When you read the New Testament, you have this sense throughout it that when God comes into the world, he comes to tent among us. Our English translations use the word dwell. I've come to dwell amongst you. The literal term would be, I've come to tent among you. Isn't it kind of interesting? That in his, in his little subtle way, God goes, I've got a couple of tent makers <laughs> that I'm going to use to change the world. And that's Priscilla and Aquila. They're very well known. And, and if you look at how they're described, uh, they're described as, as two people. Uh, look at verse number three. Whom all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks to. Okay, why? What was their role? Well, back in Acts 18, we see that their role is their teachers. They're, they're, when we find them in, in, in Acts 18, they're actually listening to Apollos, who we believe wrote the book of Hebrews, speak, and they recognize that Apollos doesn't have the whole picture. And so they're the ones who take him in to their tent and say, Apollos, you're an amazing teacher. You're gonna make, God's going to use you in phenomenal ways, but we want to give you a little bit broader picture. You're, you're talking about the baptism of John, and we have the baptism of Jesus. I want you to be aware of that. And, and so when I think of these two, um, Priscilla and Aquila, I think in my life of just a handful of teachers, honestly, who have been able to just make a big difference uh, in my life through their teaching. Um, there are a lot of people who teach. There are some people who just have that, that gift of God. To, to bring clarity to, uh, to, to a, a topic of, of learning. And for the, for the early church, Priscilla and Aquila are well known for, that's the role they play. They're the teachers of teachers. And um, you know, Paul is saying, we need that. We need them in our church. Um, I'm, I'm sending my thanks out to them and, and I'm asking you, you know, put, your arms, put your arms around them. Um, verse five, Kind of continues that. Greet also the home, the church that's meeting in their home. Um, greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert 
to Christ in Asia. You always remember your firsts. You know, you always remember your firsts. Um, I remember my first baptism. I do. It was, it was twins. Not my twins. I'll tell you why I remember it. Because if, if you ever get your hymnal out and you look at the baptismal liturgy, true or false, it's long. It's pretty long. It is. And so, I mean, I differently. I went to seminary. They said, use the liturgy. I got the hymnal out, and I started to just talk. And here's these twin kids. And the first one was listening to me talk, and it goes like this. Whack. And the second one goes. <laughs> ain't nothing. Watch this. Whack. And this one goes. <laughs> and pretty soon they're like. Wah, 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 wah. And I went. <laughs> Close that book. I'm like, Let's baptize these girls. <laughs> like right now. You always remember your firsts. I'll tell you one thing. You will remember your first convert. You didn't convert them, right? God converted them. But if you've walked with somebody and you watch God bring them to that place of faith, it just will live in you for the rest of your life. You'll say, man, I got to be there and watch what God had done. So I, I just think it's really cool that uh, uh, Epinetus, uh, the first convert to Christ in Asia, um, through, through, at least through the ministries of, of Paul. Verse 6, greet Mary. She's worked hard for you. We don't, we don't have a last name. We don't have a point of identification for this particular Mary. Uh, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before, uh, before me. I, I, I kind of, you know, a little bit, of information on them. Um, first of all, they are Jews, but notice the name is not, right? So Andronikas uh, is two words glued together, Andros and Nikas. Think about a Nike shoe. Andros, a man wearing a Nikas, a Nike shoe. So what it means is Nikas means victory. And so a man of victory. And so he's taken on a Greek name that uh, really characterizes who he is in Jesus Christ. I'm a man who has victory in Jesus Christ, right? And, um, you know, you guys don't know what I'm talking about from, from the Sudan. I know when, whenever we would be, be baptizing someone who is converting from Islam, they would want, I want to take on a new name. I want to take on a Christian name. And uh, so we would identify a Christian name, or they would have already identified it, and we would baptize them in that, in that new name. Um, so Andronikas and Junia are Jews, kinsmen of, of Paul, and, and they've probably come to know him uh, through not just their work, but they spent time in prison together. Uh, those who prison together, you know, um, stay together. I mean, you, you're, you build some bonds there. Um, we do believe that he probably went on. Um, in many cases, he's identified as being the bishop of Panania, uh, kind of northern part of Italy. Um, if that's true, he was known best for destroying temples that held idols in them. And so, again, we don't really know how he got imprisoned, but it wouldn't be a stretch to suggest that he's, he's a warrior for, for Jesus Christ to the extent of living, living in a pagan area 
where if you've ever walked through the ruins of, of, of any, any place in Rome, I mean, when you talk about these temples that have idols in them, very well could have just, just taken a lot of them down and ended up in prison uh, for doing it and met Paul there and now continues to, to serve uh, the church with, with uh, his either sister or wife. We, we can't identify which. Um, verse number nine, greet Urbanus. Um, his first name was Keith, Keith Urban, Urbanus. He was a, I think he was a, good, was a guitar player back in those days. Not. Um, Urbanos doesn't catch me as much as uh, this, this, this next person does. Um, my fellow worker in Christ and my beloved Stachis. Okay. Um, what, why do we like Stachis here in the Cornhusker state? Well, because his name literally translated means ear of corn. Stachis, literally translated. Um, so again, just a fellow worker in Christ, uh, Urbanus and Stachis. Uh, greet Apellus. Um, and I, and I, I really like these words. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Who's approved in Christ. So again, what, what, when you hear approved in Christ, all we can know about him is he's what? He's gone through something very hard. He's withstood a trial whatever that trial was, and he's withstood the test. And so again, kind of pick up on some of these characteristics. Who's Paul picking out? When you start adding them up, they start to make sense to you. You're like, hey, I may, I may have to be in prison for my faith. Is that okay? Yeah, it is. Hey, that, that guy, he, he wiped out a bunch of idols. He, he's, he was pretty bold. I'm going to go into Rome. Do I have to be bold? Yeah, we have, we have to be, we're going to have to be born. These people, this, this lady over here, she's a patron. She gave up. She gave up a lot in order to serve uh, the cause of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I'm impressed with um, John Nicodeme over at Heartland Lutheran who sold $400,000 worth of his tractors and said we're going to give that money to the school. And today has now taken on a position and said, I'll serve for free because we need to get some things rolling in this school. Am I going to have to give up something if I join this, this movement of Jesus? It could become costly. See why, see, can you start to see how these start to add up? Paul's pointing to people, but underneath every person there's what? A story. And the story that's being told is a story of a group of people who absolutely need one another. These people are teachers of teachers. Oh, what, what gift do I have? What gift do I bring to the table? Because what, what's going to take is whatever gift God has given you, bringing it to the table so that it can be used of God. This is what Paul's trying to really communicate here is we need each other. And this is, again, what it means to follow Jesus Christ. I'm hearing him speak to these well-known people who we watch every day as the house church. And we know, oh, yeah, that's what that person does. That's what that person does. That's what that person does. And uh, it, it, it all adds up to uh, a great deal. Look at uh, verse 10, uh, the second half of it. Uh, Greet those who belong to the family of uh, Aristobulus. Who is he? Who is he? 
again, we usually just skip this part of Romans, but interestingly enough, he is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great, who sought to kill Jesus Christ at his birth. Right? And all of a sudden, here his, his name shows up the lineage, in the lineage of people being greeted. Now, some people point to the fact that he is not specifically personally greeted, but rather those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. It's possible that, that he never converts to Christianity. That's possible. It's possible he does. But it's probable that family members do. And so you think about the power of the gospel. You know, uh, if, if, we're, if, we, if, if, if somebody comes in here and, and speaks the name of Adolf Hitler, None of us think, oh yeah, that's somebody I'd like to get to know. No, we'd be like, no, that, that, that person's a sick, demented, well, that's not how the church thinks. The church does not think that way. Um, Aristobulus, well, he's, he's part of Herod's family. I mean, he's, he's the grandson. Sick, sick people that have killed so many Christians. That's not how Christians think. They think, no, we'd, we would like to see him converted. We'd like to see him brought to Jesus Christ. And uh, so again, painting a picture of what it's going to take, because you're going to go out into Rome, you're going to meet a lot of folks who have heritage, lineages that go back to um, the, the murder, the murder of Christians. And so you're, you need to know that, guess what? The, the, the gospel is more powerful. It's more powerful than the sword. And so trust the sword of the gospel. Um, and now we will greet members of this this family verse 11 kins, kins, my kinsman Herodian probably probably was part of the family of Astrobulus in other words a worker within that family um, a Greek name again notice that he's taken on the name of the the, the, the entirety of the family Herodian right um, but he's a Christian and uh, and again most likely most likely a um, a, a servant and now a free man. Um, you could, by the way, in those days, purchase your freedom, right? So you you were either born a free man, as a specifically as a as a Roman citizen, or you could purchase out your you know your contract as a slave and become a free man. And and most believe Herodian was that was a, a free man as well as. This, this next person whose name Narcissus uh, was believed to have been a very wealthy free man. And um, how did they achieve their wealth? Could have been given to them, could have been given to them. Um, in most circumstances, that is the case. In fact, could have been given to them by their benefactors. Um, you know, we're going to be studying Daniel. Well, think about the place that Daniel held in Babylon. And God put him in that position. And um, he was highly regarded by the king, right? And so I will, I will give to, to Daniel, who's giving to me. So it wouldn't be unlikely that both Herodian and Narcissus achieved their free, free, free position through, uh, you know, through Aristobulus uh, or, or one of his, uh, his um, uh, upper-level leaders. Would not be out of the question. Um, verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord. This is, this is always kind of a fun one for me. 
Trifina and Trifosa. Um, say that 15 times fast, right? Trifina and Trifosa. It almost sounds like one of those medications that they put on when you're trying to fall asleep. And now, now take a little Trifina and Trifosa to knock yourself out. I'm like, well, the cool thing is Trifina means, means dainty one. Um, Trifosa means delicate one. So you're, these, this, is, this is dainty and delicate. Now, kind of juxtapose that to how he describes them. They're workers in the Lord, as in hard workers. Nothing dainty about them, right? They're strong. Uh, they, were made to, they were made by Jesus for Jesus. Their names are a reflection of that but hard workers for the, for the Lord. As was this next female, uh, read also Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. I always think of the, you know, our um, uh, English word persistent uh, would come out of that same, same root. Um, so when, when Persis was named, you're, you're going to be a persistent one. And then verse 13 um, one of my favorites in this whole lineup, Grant, greet Rufus. Now, I was really trying to remember this, and some of you are, are maybe television buffs more than me, but wasn't there a Rufus on Gunsmoke? Was there a Rufus on Gunsmoke? Festus, I remember Festus. No Rufus? Brenda's back there. I don't think there was a Rufus. Maybe there wasn't a Rufus. No Rufus. Okay. Um, who, who is Rufus? Who is Rufus? Well, actually, his name does show up in the Gospels uh, in Mark chapter 15. And he is uh, the son of someone who you will relate to, especially during the season of Lent. Uh, a man by the name of Simon of Serene. Simon, we recognize as the one who picked up the cross when Jesus stumbled on the road to Calvary and he was commanded by the Romans. Simon, pick that cross up and you'll help him carry that cross the rest of the way. Um, this is his son. And he's named as, I think specifically because of that, he's named as chosen in the Lord. There's kind of a play on that. Like, guess what? Of all the people in the whole wide world, here comes Jesus, and he stumbles, and the Romans choose your father, Simon, to carry that cross beam up the rest of the way to, uh, to Calvary. <clears throat> Challenge for you guys, by the way. Just kind of a fun side note. I try to do this every uh, Good Friday. Is... Um, you, you have to take a 120-pound weight, okay? Then you lift it up and you put it on your back. And then you have to do deep walk lunges with that 120-pound weight. And you want to go a good, good ways and a good ways back and see how that feels to you. Once you've completed that task, let me know because the cross beam of the cross, the staron, would have been approximately 120 pounds. And uh, so I have not missed a Good Friday in decades of just carrying that. And every time you do, you think to yourself, I have all my blood in me. I haven't been whipped and beaten. 
and carrying that dude back and forth a few times, I'm starting to feel it. And so I, you can picture that moment of uh, stumble. And um, anybody who, you know, people paint these pictures of Jesus and they look, they kind of look like effeminate. I'm like, um, yeah, this guy was one tough, one tough nail. And um, you can you can just about count on that. So I, I kind of I, I I just love this. Greet Rufus. He's he's chosen. Uh, he's part of your part of the family. He's connected to the cross. And then here's my favorite part. And also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Even Paul needed a mother, right? Even Paul needed somebody to make him goodie bags, and uh, and talk to him when he was feeling down. You're, you know what, Rufus, your mom. That's who she's been. That's who she's been to me. I I just I absolutely. I absolutely love that. Um, some of these next names we really do not know a lot about, but they're grouped together. So a syncretist, Phlegon, Hermes, uh, Patrobus, Hermas, uh, and the brothers who are with them. Again, what it sounds like is all of these are house church leaders. So he's identifying house church, house church, house church, house church, house church and all the members, the brothers, who are with them in Christ. Um, does the same thing in verse 15. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, Olympias, and all the saints who are with them. So you can kind of see how house churches got grouped regionally and um, how bishops then would, would have the responsibility of working regionally to, to coordinate the movement of Christianity uh, within a region. And that's what he's doing. He's, he's saying, as I look at Rome, here's what's in place. Um, a lot of the Jews have adopted Greek names. Uh, there are Greeks who've come into to the faith. And um, a page of history has, has been turned. And then he, he um, um, finally kind of closes out with words that seem strange to us in COVID times. And greet one another with a holy kiss and all the churches of Christ greet you. Yeah, I think if we called the uh, CDC and asked them if we could go back to this practice today, they might deny us. Um, I've kind of, over the years, you know, when you first hear this as a kid, the first thought you have is, ooh, right? Greet one another with a holy kiss. Like, oh, no, we're not doing that. Um, there's, there's really some depth to the symbolism behind what, what's called the holy kiss. It's actually called the paschal kiss or, or the kiss of pox, peace, right? And so what it's meant to be is not, you're not kissing somebody on the mouth. The kiss is meant to say there's peace between us and that peace has been won by Jesus Christ and we're a people who are meant to go out into the world and bring his peace to others. That, that's the whole symbolism of it. So it's not just a, a, a fakey ritual. It's meant to communicate, this is who we are. There is no peace apart from, from Jesus Christ between man and God. And so let us be bearers of that peace uh, to the world. Um, let's just, I want to get just a little bit further. He's gone through his list. Wide lens, you pull out, you're like, okay, new page in history, he's being turned. New wines being poured out. I can look at the church and I can see that, that it looks a lot different than it did in the Old Testament. God's wired it up. 
narrow lens as I look at each of these people, I begin to get a very clear picture. Serving Jesus Christ is not going to church. It's being church wherever I go. Get that in your head. And uh, so when I look at, like at all of these people, it's not different than maybe when, this is not the very best example, but maybe when I was like a freshman and you're starting to learn the ropes and you're going to play the sport and here's this person who does this and here's this person who does this and this person who does this and you're young and you start to look up to them and you learn from them. And um, in the church, that's what Paul is doing is he's saying, this is an all-out war we're getting ready to enter into in, in an arena that is thoroughly pagan and that will bring death. And so if we don't pull together and utilize the gifts that we have and the support one another the way God has called us to support one another, we, there's no way. But guess what? In Jesus Christ, this is the fun part, in Jesus Christ, there's no way that the entire power of Rome with all of its might and all of its armies and all of its strength and all of its legends, if we pull together in the strength of Jesus Christ, there's no way that Rome can stop the gospel from changing lives. And I really take that to heart in a world where, I'll tell you what, if you, if you can't read Revelation and not see what's happening right in front of our eyes today, you, you, Please go to the eye doctor soon, you know, um, because it's happening. And as you watch it unfold, we, we are in a time frame where more than ever before, the, the church has to, has to pull together and be church wherever we go. Uh, so I am very much encouraged by these words because what you realize is the government with all of its power and all of its strength, and all of its policies, and all of its regulations cannot prevent the gospel from accomplishing the end that God has in mind. So I tell the church today, be the church all out, because it's, it's, we, we are now entering into a, a battlefield, and uh, the, the war must be fought, but not, not, not under human strength, under, under the strength of the sword of the gospel itself. Knowing this, Paul kind of closes out the whole of Romans with a warning. And um, I think it's interesting. He says, I'm going to appeal to you. It's a strong word. I'm, I'm asking you to please watch out. The Greek word there is skapos. Keep your telescope up for. Keep watching out for. Um, those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. Okay. Remember this is being written. Um, you're talking about early Christianity. But already there are false teachers who are really trying to make a name for themselves and money for themselves, honestly who have started to infiltrate the churches throughout Asia Minor. Paul's aware that some of their tactics are causing divisions and then what? Creating obstacles. 
Have we seen this as we go through the New Testament? Well, actually, we have seen it as we go through the New Testament, right? Uh, when we talk about causing uh, divisions, all we need to think about is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Remember when Paul is going into Corinth, what's the first thing he says to the people of Corinth? He says, guess what, people? I'm really, really disturbed because you have broken yourself up into, into groups and aligned yourself with different leaders. Some of you have said, I was baptized by Paul. Some of you said, I was baptized by Paul. Some of you said, I was baptized by John. Some of you said, so guess what? I, Paul, actually, I haven't baptized many people. I baptized Gaius. I, maybe there's one other house church that I helped baptize, but guess what? You're, you're creating divisions within the church. You're going to destroy it. And so what he's saying is there are leaders who will create divisions in the church. Um, if you ever want to see this up close and personal, uh, talk to uh, Linda Reiser, and we'll sign you up to go to one of our church conventions, and uh, you'll get to see all this stuff live and personal. I'm serious. There's, there's division creators. And uh, what Paul says is, watch out for them. Don't, don't, don't avoid them. Don't jump into it. You know, when I get a phone call and somebody says, I'm not going to tell you who, but somebody higher up says, hey, you need to start making calls so that we can win this election. I'm like, no, thank you. I think I'm going to leave this to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not jumping in with that stuff. It's not, it's not what we're called to do. Some created obstacles. So we already, we already know that the entire book of Galatians is written, why? Obstacles. We're going we're gonna to now put law back on top of people who've been set free by the, by the gospel. I mean, Paul's being very strong here. He's saying, I've lifted up these people. I'm pointing to what the church is. We're going to fight this battle now. Be careful because there will be people that, that, that enter into the church who are division creators and obstacle creators in a way that's contrary to the truth of the doctrine that you have received from me. You've received the apostolic doctrine through me. And so how do I know? <clears throat> when I, I'm not talking about, I mean, in, in, in anybody, there's always, you know, I'm, heck, I'm a troublemaker, you know. Um, but what we're talking about is people who are creating obstacles and divisions that really impact the theology of the church. And that, that's specifically who he's, he's pointing to. Verse 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. They're in this for them. And by smooth talk and flattery, I've always found this interesting, they deceive the hearts of the naive. It's emotional. I want to get in and appeal to your emotions. And so as, as the body, um, what we're doing is we're saying, well, no, we're going to measure everything against the, the word of God. Is it true? Is it not true? Is it what Jesus taught? Is it not what Jesus taught? And then he says, this, this one gets misunderstood, so don't misunderstand. In verse number 19, he says, for, for your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. Your obedience is known to all. Always remember this, that the term obedience, hupokuo, means to come underneath the hearing of the word. So he's actually being contrasted here. He's saying, you have people out there who are speaking false flattering words for themselves. Here's why I rejoice in you. You're a people who always come under the hearing of the word. We're going to listen to God rather than to man. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go your way. I'm gonna go God's way. All right. And then he says, I want you to be as wise, wise to what is good, and innocent as to what is is evil. So, when it uses the term innocent here, innocent as to as to evil, um, the term is a kreos. And literally, it would mean unmixed, would be a literal translation of it. So I want you to be wise to what is good. In other words, what is of, of the Lord. But unmixed to what is evil. Don't, don't let even a little of it in. right? Don't let even a little bit of it in. Once you start making con- compromises, or, you know, that person's not that bad, you, you're going to destroy the church. Stand strong on the word of God. And then he closes out verse 20. The God of peace, the God of peace will soon crush. This is like one of my favorite verses uh, in this entire book. Will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Um, it's, a, it's a word that takes you back to Genesis 3, right? And the promise of Jesus Christ himself who will crush the head of the, of the serpent. And so sometimes Paul will use that kind of imagery to suggest, you know, if there's someone who is coming to the church, who's creating division. Um, he's, he believes, based upon the strength of the word itself, that God will do this. He'll crush it out. In other words, God will, God will, give, you, uh, will give you a way through even those times where there is division that's being created. Even during those times where there is uh, people that have come into the church that, in essence... They're speaking the words of the Bible. Who do they really represent? Satan. If you listen to them, you're giving yourself to Satan. Made this comment in worship today, and I really believe this, that um, there are obviously, we would say, a lot of politicians in our world today who have no idea, but literally you could say to them, you, ma'am, sir, are a puppet to Satan himself. That's not a joke. I want to go so far as to say there are many pastors and proclaimers in our world today who are puppets of Satan. They are speaking not God's word, but they're speaking words that people kind of like because, oh, that means I can, I can keep doing this. That means I can, I can live in this sin. It's not a sin. They said it from the pulpit. And I love these words. Soon, Satan will be crushed. There will be a day when truth is revealed through the person of Jesus Christ himself. He's pointing us ultimately to the resurrection. That's where he's ultimately pointing us to. Um, and I just love those words. You know what? Satan will be crushed under his foot. And then he simply says, the grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's close there. I think um, next week we'll have a, a, a short period, but I want to have a time if you have uh, questions that have come up throughout our book of Romans and you want to ask them, uh, we can have a little bit of question and answer time. And uh, we'll close out and get, get ourselves ready for the book of Daniel. Let's pray. Lord, um, We're ready to to go into this week. We ask that you go with us. Lord, uh, give us the boldness 
that we get to see in some of these names. Uh, Lord, help us to, to identify what are the gifts that you would have us use. Help us know this, this really is a war, and we need each other, and we need to pull together. Lord, I, I, I just pray for a week of, of your peace, uh, of some healing, some, some fixing amongst people who've gone through a, a really tough time. Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name.